Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now to worship you and to glorify you. And we thank you for being with us and present in this place. That you care not where we gather, that you care not for the fact of who we are, that you care for who we are to become. You care because you have redeemed us from slavery. You have redeemed us from the sins that we were once in. And you, Lord, who bring light into this dark world, fill us with light itself. You've privileged St. Peter, St. John, St. James to behold that light of Christ. And now that very same light dwells within us by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let these words not simply be the words of a prayer, but let us to know that these are true words and let us live by them. And now, Lord, I ask that you open up our minds and our hearts to hear only the word of God, to hear the word before we receive the sacrament. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. We are creatures who, by nature, we want assurance, don't we? It's easy in this life for someone to promise you something. And if you tell a child, I promise we'll get ice cream tomorrow. You can expect that child to ask you at least a dozen times about making sure that you get them that ice cream. They trust you, but they want to remind you so you don't forget your promise. Now, likewise, we have the promise from St. Peter in his second epistle that was just read today. That he himself beheld the transfigured Jesus as the Son of God and heard the voice of the very God, the Father, speaking over his Son. But as St. Peter tells us, he doesn't say to put our trust in his vision. He tells us instead to put our trust and to put our faith into something more sure. Something more sure. But we want to have the vision, don't we? We want the mountaintop experience that St. Peter had. We want to have the experience that James and John got to partake of when they saw Jesus Christ transformed, transfigured before their very eyes. What could be something more than that experience that we heard from the gospel just now? St. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have something more sure, the prophetic word. Something more sure, the prophetic word of Holy Scripture. Which to him, when St. Peter was writing this letter, would have been the Old Testament. I find it fascinating and illuminating that Peter tells us that the prophetic word of God is to be paid attention to as, quote, as to a lamp in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. As to a lamp in a dark place until the day 
dawns and the darkness is gone. So that the morning star rises in our own hearts. So in other words, as the psalmist says in 119, verse 105, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet. It's a beautiful metaphor. And it reminds us that the living word of God, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. That he has spoken through his prophets recorded in the Old Testament that we have now. And he provides a lamp so that we may see despite the darkness that surrounds us. Christian, Christian, we should marinate in the light of God's written word that we are privileged to have. And steer clear from the darkness that seeks us out in this world. We live in a world in which entertainment is literally in the palm of our hands. Entertainment that is full of darkness due to the content that it pumps out into our brains. Dangerous because of the idolatrous false images of self that it sells. Deceiving because it distracts us from disciplining our bodies and our souls in holy habits and meaningful prayer and in taking up and reading the scriptures. Now, this isn't a sermon about moralism. This isn't a sermon about not having fun. It's not a sermon about not owning a phone because we're also using technology to the glory of God himself to be able to have a live stream, to be able to still worship. But what I am preaching to you today is to bring to mind this question and ask yourself after the service, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? It's a question that we should constantly ask ourselves. Because the question that I have for you is, do you, Christian, do you tithe a part of your day to use God's lamp to see through the darkness that's around us? Or are you blindly moving through life and just merely tripping over God's word occasionally on, I don't know, Sunday morning? Let's pick up the lamp through which we should examine our lives and examine the world together. And let us turn to Mark chapter 9. We have what can sound to us as the curious occasion of Jesus traveling with three selected disciples and then being transfigured in his appearance. Now before we dive into this text, do you recall the point that Peter made in the reading from 2 Peter? In chapter 1 verse 15. He made the point that the prophetic words of the Old Testament are a lamp for us. So let us now read Mark 9 and look for illumination from the Old Testament to shed some light on transfiguration. Chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. We have Christ being glorified, appearing radiant. The holiness of God himself coming forth from God himself, God the Son, Jesus Christ, showing that he, in fact, is God. And then suddenly, 
Elijah and Moses appear. And they're speaking with Jesus. This is incredible. These two men appearing next to our Lord tells us many things. For Moses represents the law of the Old Testament, the Torah. And Elijah is our representative for the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. And if we know our Old Testament like we should, and if we don't, then we need to, then we'll start to recall that Moses was once lifted up to a mountaintop. He ascended into a mountain, and what happened? There were clouds, there was thunder, there was lightning, and there was the voice of God the Father. And he received from God personally the law of God. But Christian, what, what do we see now in Mark chapter 9? We see Christ on the mountaintop. And if we keep reading, you're going to see, you're going to hear once again the voice of God the Father as clouds envelop this mountain that they find themselves upon, Jesus. Now additionally, as for Elijah, what do we recall about him from the Old Testament? He prophesied for many years, a faithful witness to God. And though he was alone when God revealed to him that there were several thousand faithful still present, we heard that in our reading from Kings today, he thought he was alone. He felt he was alone. He was exasperated. You can hear it in his voice from just reading the scriptures. But God assures him a holy remnant remains. There are several thousand. And gives him hope, gives him faith. But don't hold this lack of faith for a moment against Elijah. For Elijah truly did not know if there was any faithful left. But God gave him good news. And as a matter of fact, Elijah, such a holy prophet of God, such a faithful man of God, trusting in him, is one of only two people to have never died. Did you know that? Elijah is one of two people to never have died. And the other one is Enoch. Enoch is the other one in Genesis. He walked with God and then he was no more. Ever since I was a wee lad, reading that gives me shivers. It's amazing. I can't imagine what does that mean to walk with God and then he was no more for he was taken up. He was translated by God. That's faithful. But God took Elijah too and translated him from the earth directly into heaven to be with him without tasting death. Furthermore, the prophet Malachi, that last book that's in the Old Testament, what does he prophesy? Behold, this is the last two sentences of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What a promise. So now the scene is set. Here we are in the gospel. And where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves with James, with John, with St. Peter, with their mouths gaping open, I would imagine, seeing Moses, who's been dead for some thousand years, plus Elijah, who never died, standing before them with Jesus, their master, their rabbi, their teacher. And now, not only is this incredible, these two men standing along with Jesus, but the fact that a dead man appears to be living, Moses should give comfort to them. But the resurrection is in fact real. And the sight of Elijah before them had to have made them think about Malachi's words that I just read, that God promised to send Elijah before instituting the day of the Lord, a phrase meaning God's judgment, when God would turn the world to rights. Is this it? They must be thinking. 
Is this it? Peter interrupts this awesome sight and states in verses 5 through 6. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, that is teacher, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Terrified. You think? Can you fathom walking with Jesus up to this point in his life, in his ministry, being called by him? Now, we skipped from last week's lesson from Mark 1 through 2. and went to uh, the Great Commission last Sunday. We celebrated World Mission Sunday. But two weeks ago, we were in Mark 1 through 2, the beginning of Christ's ministry. We've skipped ahead today to Mark 9. So let me catch you up. That Peter and the disciples, they've seen Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, feed thousands. So they realize that something is up. They're at least following the greatest prophets known to Israel and likely the Messiah. They anticipate more than likely a rebellion is coming. And at any moment, Jesus will be anointed, Messiah, which means anointed, we anointed as king to reinstitute the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus preaches a message about another kingdom that's coming, the kingdom of God. But as Jesus tells them in verse 1, that it is not a man's kingdom that they're about to witness. But instead, in chapter 9, verse 1, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. After it has come with power. And with power it comes as Jesus is transfigured. So that these three disciples who see Jesus, see him as he truly is. And if there was any question... Then we pick up in verse 7. What do we read? And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. Here it comes. Listen. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. When's the last time that we heard this line? It was when God the Father Almighty, speaking over Jesus and identifying him as his beloved son. When was that? At his baptism. We began this journey of epiphany at his baptism. When John the Baptist points out to him as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. To take away the darkness with his light. But this time God the Father adds another statement at the transfiguration. For he then says, listen to him. Listen to him. Something remarkable happens in verse 8. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him but Jesus only. Jesus only. What does it mean? What does it mean? Remember, bring back to mind our readings from two weeks ago. I'll refresh your recollection how Jesus is in the synagogue. And the people are amazed that he teaches as though he is one who has authority. And indeed he does. It calls back the promise that was given to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. The same Moses who appeared with Jesus and then disappeared. The promise God gave to Moses that he would raise up a prophet greater than Moses. And God would, quote, put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them to all that I command him. That's Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. Now listen to Deuteronomy 18.19. 
and remember that God is speaking. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And what does God now say at the transfiguration of his son? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then Moses disappears. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And what does he give to Moses to tell the people in Deuteronomy? If you will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I'll require it of him. And then at the transfiguration, Moses disappears. Why? Why? Because one greater than Moses has appeared. Jesus, the promised prophet, who not only speaks the word of his father, but is the word of his father. For this reason, too, Elijah disappears. As if the three disciples didn't think that Jesus was God in the flesh before, they now, in this experience, should have tripped their radar, at least, that they're standing before someone who is more than a fellow man. So much more. Do you remember what Peter said earlier? In this account of the transfiguration, he said, Rabbi, teacher, it's good for us to be here. And indeed it was. But what Peter is about to realize is that Jesus is far more than a teacher. For Peter then offers, let us build three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He wants to encourage the spending of time on the mountain and build a shelter equally for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. You may not realize it at first glance or first read or hearing this read aloud, but Peter is merely referring to Jesus as a teacher of equal authority of Moses and Elijah. But Peter's world is about to be rocked by the voice of God the Father. So when the clouds descends, the thunderous voice of God the Father speaks, and only Jesus is left standing, then we have the echoes of Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, what happens? Well, I'll pick up in verse 16 here. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also that the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mountain, for you yourself warned us, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, to Moses, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people, and he told them. And then in chapter 20, he receives the Ten Commandments. Why do I say this? Because, friends, this account from Moses, this account in Exodus, should trigger a memory. Because what we have in the Transfiguration is a, revel excuse me, a revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation of who He is, that He is God. Because Moses had to travel up to the mountain to receive the law from God and take it down to the people. And the people could not come up lest they be struck down. 
A law that condemned us of our sin. A law that identified the problem is with the human heart. A law that, though righteous, can never, never make us righteous. Then comes Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus transcends our limited, our sinful selves as a man. He comes as both man as God, as he transforms his flesh and his clothing to a radiant glory of righteousness, blinding to the disciples. The righteousness of God himself has come down to earth. And now, now we have God's righteousness in Jesus Christ, forsaking Peter's offer to build shelters and to remain on this mountain. And why does he reject this offer? So that he may go down the mountain into the world, to the people, to free humanity from its slavery, to sin, to death, and to the devil. Jesus makes clear why he comes down from this mountain. He comes down to set the people free. He comes down not to bring a law, but to bring us freedom. And the only way he can do that is rising from the dead, as he tells the disciples right here, in verse 9. And he tells them in verse 12. It is written. The son of man should suffer many things. And be treated with contempt. And yet this descent from the mountain. Brings good news. This suffering and trial and death he must undergo. That he tells the disciples. At least the three with him here. That he must undergo it's necessary. It's necessary because when the Lord comes down, we are no longer condemned by the law that came down with Moses. We're now set free by the very lawgiver who comes down the mountain and travels with us into the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, this Lent, let us join our Lord with us. Let us follow him as he bears his cross for us. The lawgiver bearing the law in our iniquities so that we may take up our cross and bear it. May we now walk into the valley of the shadow of death with him as we enter the Lenten season. And may we fear no evil for his rod and his staff of the good shepherd comforts us. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast.
that not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one.